Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, and Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent. Our guest today is Joseph Dickerson from Jefferies. This week, we'll be discussing HSBC as it turns from cutting to growth, a look at Citigroup as it signals a dramatic cut in its tech and operations staff, and finally to TSB, where the ongoing IT glitch is threatening its chief executive, Paul Pester. First, though, to HSBC. Martin, we're seeing a big switch, really, in strategy, aren't we, under Chairman Mark Tucker and Chief Executive John Flint. I wouldn't say it's all change, Patrick. It's some change at HSBC, where John Flint, the new chief executive, laid out his strategy for the first time to investors. And there's a lot of continuity in what he said, particularly he's sticking with this so-called pivot to Asia strategy laid out by his predecessor, Stuart Gulliver, three years ago to deploy capital away from underperforming areas of the business like the investment bank and shift that capital into more promising areas like in Hong Kong, which generates a lot of HSBC's profits, and also the Pearl River Delta business in southern China. And continuity also on the dividend, which John Flint promised to keep flat, and on share buybacks, which started under Stuart Gulliver and John Flint has promised to continue those opportunistically. At least, he said, to cancel out the script element of the dividend where shareholders have the option of receiving dividends in shares instead of cash. But there was some new elements to this, and particularly you can see the influence of the new chairman, Mark Tucker, who was hired last year from the Asian insurer AIA, as HSBC is talking very much about building up its insurance, asset management and wealth management businesses in Asia, where it's seen widely as being under strength. And it's also looking to sort out the long-running underperformance of its US business, where it's got a lot of capital trapped, but its returns have been negative or negligible for many years. To what extent is HSBC following the mould set by Wall Street, where we've had Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and others talk about growth again after a long period of consolidation? Yeah, the growth agenda is definitely a key theme here. And that's a bit of a change for HSBC, which under the previous management team were very much on the back foot, looking to deal with the mess left by several ill-judged acquisitions before the financial crisis, which led to big losses in the US, for instance, on mortgages, the uh, household business that HSBC bought there, but also a lot of fines from regulators for misconduct, which again stemmed largely from some of these big deals that were done. So they've been clearing up the mess, they've been restructuring, they've been selling out of some countries, they've been shutting down other parts of the business. 
I think in the last decade we've seen revenues decline about 36-37% at HSBC, although they did rise for the first time in a while last year. The plan is very much to look for new areas of growth. HSBC is talking about, as I mentioned, asset management, wealth management and insurance, but also the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative and also the growth of green finance, all as areas that they hope to capitalise on. They're even talking about growth in the US, where they want to get into unsecured consumer lending. So very much growth back on the agenda for HSBC. So let's go across now to Joseph Dickerson, analyst at Jefferies. Joseph, thanks very much for joining us. So what do you make of this? Are investors going to be applauding HSBC's decision to turn to growth now? Well, they're going to need growth to generate revenue growth, which is something that was lacking for many years post-crisis and particularly post the DPA in the U.S. and the runoff of the U.S. business. So they've got two choices. They can either grow their revenue through balance sheet growth or they can cut their way to glory. And given the size of HSBC, I would suggest that you know the need to turn to balance sheet growth is very, very high, and they have to do it in the right way, particularly at this point in the cycle. Yeah, this point in the cycle is a key issue, isn't it? I don't think many people would disagree that assets are pretty fully valued at the moment, and maybe we're due for a correction in many parts of the world, in many asset classes. What about HSBC's geographic profile, its Asia focus, where arguably those assets are more highly valued than many places? Does this set them up for really big challenges, do you think, the idea of going for growth in these regions? Well, the key thing is we'll have to price risk appropriately. And if you look at Hong Kong, for instance, post the advent of QE in the U.S., you've had a near doubling of credit penetration of private sector credit to GDP. So you had private sector credit to GDP in Hong Kong was about 150 percent in 2009. It's now north of 300%. So that's the context into which this bank will be growing loans. On the other hand, clearly you have President Xi's initiative on the Belt and Road, and they will need to, as one of the only banks in the world that's really positioned to provide growth at most points along the Belt and Road, they will need to provide that lending. So it's really a balance between pricing risk right in core markets and being able to help finance growth on the Belt and Road. Okay, I suppose a final thought. Investors, judging by the share price reaction to the growth strategy announcement, are pretty cautious about this. They're going to need to see the proof in the pudding. What are we going to be looking for over the coming quarters in terms of evidence? Well, I think a couple of things. I think investors, in terms of the share price reaction yesterday, investors might have expected more shake-up from Mr. Tucker's chairmanship in terms of perhaps streamlining the group more and probably even a greater focus on growing insurance and asset and wealth management than what we saw in yesterday's presentation. I think, secondly, investors would like to have seen a greater commitment around being able to grow the dividend as they generate these wonderful earnings that they're promising. So clearly, to watch the proof in the pudding, we're going to need to see earnings growth. We're going to need to also see how increases in rates are transmitting through to HSBC's profitability. So we have HIBOR, for instance, at a new high this morning. They're quite an asset-sensitive bank, so we'd like to see that come through. So anything that really, um, you know, to benchmark this company, we're going to need to start to see return improvement and earnings growth, and hopefully over time, some greater commitment on increasing the dividend. Because after all, this is a large battleship. It is not a high-growth company, given its footprint and its size. It should be able to grow now, but that's not going to be fast growth. And if you're not growing fast as a bank, which is largely utility, you're going to need to distribute some of that to shareholders, particularly on an increasing basis. It's a delicate balance to strike, that's for sure. We'll keep watching the story. Joseph Dickerson from Jefferies, thanks ever so much. 
Well, let's move on to our second story now. And Citigroup is preparing for some massive job cuts. At least that's what they've signalled to you, Laura, particularly on the operations side of things. Thousands of jobs potentially could go. Tell us exactly what you've heard. Yes, we had a story in the FT on Tuesday, which was basically quoting the head of City's Institutional Clients Group, which is their investment bank, Jamie Friese. And he was saying that he thought that over the next five years, it was possible that up to half of their 20,000 tech and ops staff could be gone. This is a view supported in the article by several other leading investment bank CEOs who aren't talking in numbers terms, but who are talking about the significant impact they think is really still to come as we see automation, artificial intelligence and and other new techniques basically undertake some of the more mundane and technical and operational work which is currently being done at these big institutions by thousands and thousands of people. As you, I think, pointed out in your story, there's an echo of something that the former head of Deutsche Bank, John Cryan, said when he talked about many of his staff being like abacuses, memorably. Is this really likely to happen or is this just wishful thinking and actually these savings aren't going to come out of the banks anytime soon? I think it's certainly going to happen that we're going to see fewer people in those kinds of jobs and thousands of fewer people at individual institutions in those kind of jobs. The challenge will be us actually seeing it happen because it's not going to happen in isolation and I'm not expecting the city to formally announce a redundancy plan for tech and off staff. It's going to be a more gradual thing and we'll also see banks adding to headcount in other areas. So they will be adding staff in some of their business units and they'll also be adding technical staff who actually power the new automation which is going to help them in this new age. So I think we are going to see job cuts, but those are gross cuts. They aren't net cuts. And the net impact, which is what we see from the outside, could actually be a lot smaller. So we shouldn't be looking really for net cost cuts, but potentially freeing up people to generate more revenues in other areas. And therefore, the growth agenda that we were just talking about at HSBC, and obviously, to some degree, they're catching up with Wall Street's growth profile, that could accelerate. I think that's certainly how the banks like to describe it because no one wants to be inhuman when you're talking about tens of thousands of people losing their jobs. So what the banks typically tell us is, yeah, we're going to have fewer people doing that role, but that will then mean we have more people doing interesting jobs and this will actually enhance everybody's lives. Now, at some point, you have to think that's going to be a zero-sum game. It's not possible for every bank to cut operational staff, deploy increasing staff in other areas and gain market share. There will be some growth in the market, they would argue, if the institutions all become more efficient. But I think ultimately, if you introduce more automation, more artificial intelligence into these businesses and all things being equal, you will have fewer people working there. Well, again, one to watch. Thank you for that, Laura. Let's move on to our final topic of the day and TSB. Now, this is a story that we've all been watching for weeks. The systems crisis at TSB still hasn't been resolved. And the chief executive, Paul Pester, is looking ever more beleaguered. A pretty exceptionally tough intervention from the Treasury Select Committee as well last week, Caroline. Yeah, that's right. It was a pretty grim week for TSB and a sort of nadir following the last few weeks since the IT outage. And Nicky Morgan, who's the chair of the Treasury Select Committee, capped it all off by saying that TSB board should give serious consideration as to whether Mr Pester's position as chief executive of TSB is sustainable. So pretty powerful and totally unprecedented action by the Treasury Select Committee. If you think back to all the chief executives that they've had in the stocks over the years, Bob Diamond... Fred Goodwin, Paul Flowers, none of them got that treatment from the select committee. 
For now, the board is saying that Paul Pester still has its full confidence, but there's been some drip-drip news stories since then even regarding the amount of money that TSB is having to pay Sabadell in terms of its IT unit. Sabadell being the Spanish bank that owns TSB ultimately. Correct. That's the parent company. And TSB is reportedly paying £110 million a year to Sabadell because it uses its Sabis unit for this IT system. And also there was a leaked IBM report over the weekend, which raises more questions about Paul Pester's evidence to the Treasury Select Committee. Andrew Bailey, who's the head of the Financial Conduct Authority, had already labelled Mr Pester's first set of evidence to the committee as overly optimistic. Yes, it's not looking great for him and it does conjure up memories of the Treasury Select Committee's inquisition of Charlotte Hogg, the former Deputy Governor of the Bank of England. This was under the previous chairmanship of the TSC by Andrew Tyree. She ended up resigning pretty dramatically from her job after a very critical TSC report. So do you think that's the way this is heading? I think you're right to draw parallels because it underlines just how powerful the select committee can be. And you're right that Charlotte Hogg was the last big scalp that the committee claimed I think what's also interesting is that the FCA and the Bank of England's Prudential Regulation Authority have confirmed that they've launched investigations into the matter and have hinted that they'll also be looking at Mr Pester personally and his senior executive team just in terms of signing off on the readiness of the migration before it actually happened. And this would be under the tough new accountability regime that's in place. Excellent. Thank you for that, Caroline. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Laura, Caroline and Martin. Also our guest, Joseph Dickerson from Jefferies. And thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. And we'd love to hear what you think about the Banking Weekly podcast and indeed all the FT's podcasts. We're asking listeners to rate them and tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com slash podcast feedback and enter our prize draw. You could win £500. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.